0: The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons.
1: Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to this episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. This is Austin Peterson. I've got my co-host, Landon Mance, and in the studio today, we've got Jason Turnquist, CEO of Firesight. Firesite's a local website and mobile app development firm, and I'll let Jason kind of tell you a little bit about what it is that they do. Jason, let me ask you first to to tell us a little bit about you personally, where you grew up, how you got interested in web
2: development, that sort of thing, and then
1: tell us about your family, what's going on, that sort of thing.
2: Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks for having me on, Austin and Landon. And um, yeah, so I'm originally from the San Francisco Bay Area, so I'm a little bit of a transplant out here. Grew up in the East Bay of San Francisco, which is out kind of uh, like Livermore, Dublin area. My dad always worked in the Silicon Valley. So we were always kind of tied to like semiconductor manufacturing and things like that. He worked at KLA. Yeah, I came out to, I got into Arizona State University originally for aerospace engineering. It was kind of my, my thing. I was really into just rockets and, and just like technology geared towards airplanes and things like that. And so I was looking at a couple of different schools and Emory Riddle was one of them. Colorado, the Air Force Academy up there in Colorado Springs was another one. And yeah, I, you know, graduated and decided that I liked ASU the best. So I ended up coming out here. I was always really big into engineering. My dad was actually a mechanical engineer. So, you know, I always kind of had like this building mentality of like working with my hands, building engines. I worked at a boat shop for a little while. So, you know, got to really, was really a hands-on type of guy, but, you know, being really interested in technology and whatnot, I ended up going to ASU. Wasn't really sure. Obviously, started with aerospace engineering, but first year of ASU kind of got me going in a little bit of a different direction, you know, out here by myself, not a lot of, you know, accountability, I would say, and parents. And so ended up not doing that great and switching to business. So I was kind of doing the whole business thing. And business, you know, they make you take a variety of different classes, you know, economics, accounting. computer information systems. And so after taking a computer informations class, I ended up deciding that, you know, I kind of liked working with HTML and CSS and building out like digital products. And that's kind of really how I transitioned into more of like the computer world. Mm -hmm. Um, And growing up, my dad had always, like we'd always had a computer, right? We had like a Mac. uh, I think it was a Mac 2 where we used to play like Wolfgang Puck and some of those other fun (laughs) old games on there. And yeah, so... Having computers in our lives, like it, it seemed like a natural fit. After I kind of got to do a little bit of coding, and so came out here. I've been out here since 2005, um, and I'm 33 now, so almost about half my life has been spent out here in Arizona. And you know, I, I love Phoenix. It's a great city. And after graduating, I I went to ASU. I was in a fraternity. I met a lot of friends, and you know, knew a lot of people, and. After taking those courses in computer information systems, it was like, maybe we could start doing this for customers and like building out a, a web presence for them. And so that's kind of where we got started. And, you know, WordPress was kind of in its infancy. So WordPress being a content management system. Sure. It was a really easy way before you'd have to manage a website like in a really rudimentary way, right? You'd have to log into FTP. If you had a site with multiple pages like that, you'd have to like go in and modify each HTML file. And it was it was time-consuming and not very easy. So when content management systems came out, it made it a lot easier for you to kind of set it up and then manage the content on the website uh, over time. And And they, they came out with a great interface for it. And from there, we just determined that we could start building sites. So at 23, right when I basically graduated, uh, we started Firesight just kind of telling people that we could build a website. And one of our first clients, actually, his name is Dan Terry. He's up in the Silicon Valley. He does like ISO certifications for, you know, the automotive industry, the aerospace industry, stuff like that. And my dad had connected me with him at the time. He's like, yeah, he's looking to build a website. Maybe give him a bid. So (laughs) We ended up... And you're thinking, what's a bid?
1: How do I figure
2: that out? Exactly. At the time, I was actually doing loan modifications, like right when the market tanked in 2009. So I knew I didn't want to really go into that side of things. You know, I liked, I liked real estate and whatnot, but I always, you know, I, I like the technology side better. So anything to get me out of doing loan modifications. So yeah, he, he's like, Hey, I have a 40 page website. I bid it at $2,500, which at the time, looking back, that's obviously a steal of a price. Like yeah. you would never get that anymore. But yeah, he's still with us today. We still help him maintain his website. He's our very first client. We We do a lot of work with him and, you know, he'll send us stuff and we'll just kind of end up you know, doing it like for a really, really low price or we'll just exchange for services.
1: So, yeah. No, oh, that's really cool. So, I mean, tell us a little bit more
2: about the conversation with, you have one business partner, right? Yeah. My business partner, Sean Elstins, he and I went to elementary school together. So, oh, his wow. mom was our Cub Scout leader at the time. Had he come out here to ASU as well or... He was looking because, you know, we were really good friends in high school and uh, he was looking at going to ASU, but couldn't really make it happen at the time financially, which, you know, was fine. So I ended up coming out here by myself. And then after I think it was spring break of 2005, I was like, you know, told all the friends, hey, come out here. ASU is a great time. Lots of partying, like beautiful (laughs) weather, beautiful women. It's a it's a great area. And he was they're like, all right, let's do it. And he came down. And then that September in 2006, he ended up actually moving down here and being my roommate. Okay. So that was and 2006. you guys
1: just had conversations and said, we can do this. And
2: yeah, well, at the time, he was doing locksmith. So he was actually managing like a locksmith call center. And part of the locksmith industry is all about web development and search engine optimization. Because if you're locked out of your car, you need your house rekeyed, um, a car key. The first thing you're going to usually do is Google search, and you know if you rank number one, you're gonna you're gonna get most of the business. So, a lot of these locksmith companies they would just build websites for every single city. Each website, you know, they would do what's called spun content. So you build like a two thousand word, call it like a, a document, and you run it through a spinner where it you bracket out adjectives and nouns, and you switch them up, and then when you run it through the spinner two thousand words can end up turning into like 100,000 words, saying it in different ways, saying the mm. same thing different ways. And then that way, you're not getting duplicate content on the search engine. Oh, so wow. they would do this for every city, you know, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Mesa, Los Angeles, Beverly Hills, like any anywhere. So they would just build out all these sites and you don't want to do it in HTML, so they would do it in WordPress. So that's what, how he kind of got familiar with WordPress is building out these websites and helping ma- the locksmith company manage them. Mm. And so... So it was he, an easy transition to easy transition he kind of got tired of the locksmith field is very cutthroat and you know can be hard to work with some of the people in that industry so I think he decided to kind of go off on his own and while we were creating firesight he was also running a locksmith company as well oh, wow. basically taking everything that he knew he, he figured out the technicians he'd, he'd run all the operations in the office and all the marketing and all like the inbound calls and then he used a software to facilitate with the technicians and you know, send the job to the technician and the technician will go out there and take care of the job.
1: Very cool. So fast forward 11 years, Mm -hmm. right? And sometimes being business partners with somebody you've known your whole life can be really good. And sometimes it can be really bad, right? And sometimes it's in between. So how has your relationship evolved over the last 11 years? How have have things changed, you know, for Firesight, What has it become over the last 11 years? What's your family life like? That sort of thing.
2: Right, yeah. So, you know, being friends since childhood, we have a very strong bond. Obviously, we think differently, but I think that's very good for most business partners. And at the end of the day, like we back each other up. Uh, We tend to play, you know, good good cop, bad cop, oftentimes, and that way we can kind of get a little bit more work done, and we can make sure that, you know, if I have to be the bad guy on the phone, he'll kind of step in with the client, be the good guy, and then everything's fine. So that relationship tends to work really well, and. Over the last 11 years, he's had uh, he's about to get married actually next June, so um, congratulations to him. Yeah. I got married about three years ago. We tend to do different things, but at the same time, we still do a lot together. Uh, in fact, this last weekend we just went up to a property that we par- like we're now partners in. It's a 75-acre property just south of Flagstaff. Um, we call it Playa Ponderosa, and it's like a a place where we can, we we have like these grand plans with the other business partners to kind of turn it into an area where you can do private camping, you can do corporate retreats, you could do weddings, you could do music festivals. It's mm. it's a beautiful piece. So we were just up there and, you know, having a great time and just doing what we've always done, which is have fun. And, and, you know, it's, it's about what you do in the off hours too, because if you're only doing work, and only focused on work, and you don't focus on like, Having fun and getting out, then that's when your relationship can kind of get sour. Sure. Um, and so the biggest thing I think is is kind of having our separate hobbies, if you will, but at the same time, still share. We still share a lot of the same hobbies of cars and camping and you know going out and having a good time and being social. So yeah, yeah. No, that's hey really Jason. Cool. Oh, yeah.
3: On. So I've got a, a really great practice coordinator who who kind of keeps things moving along with my practice. And she was doing a little bit of research prior to our get together today. I hope that this is accurate, but uh, I want to know, did you and your business partner first meet when, when you were working the uh, cafeteria cash register? I believe you were 12 years old when you got your first job. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that was actually my very first position. You know, my dad had always instilled hard work into us. Right. And, you know, even though he's really successful in Silicon Valley, he always wanted us to try and work. So I learned that from a very early age. And I think that's another thing Sean and I have in common is that he also has always worked for his dad from a very early age. And Sean, I don't, he didn't work in the cafeteria, but I did. I was in seventh grade, a cafeteria cashier, and I would spend my lunch making sure that the other kids got their food. And then I get a free lunch out of it. And that was in like seventh and eighth grade. So that was kind of my first beginning. And I think at the time I was getting like minimum wage in California was like maybe $5.15 or so. So, you know, you figure an hour a day plus a free lunch. It was, it was nice, nice little side income. Yeah, But it taught me a lot of responsibility.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're aging me a little bit there because my, my first job was $4.25 an hour. So I'm clearly older than you uh, <laughs> if, if my first job was, was that much less than what you were getting paid. Well, plus it's probably higher in California, but still, it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy to think. And, and I talk to my kids now, you know this, Jason. So Jason and I, just for the listeners, Jason and I are in a Vistage group together. Uh, it's basically a business networking or professional development group. And we'd love to talk to anybody that's interested in having a conversation about that and what it does for us and our businesses. And so certainly reach out to us uh, on social media if you have any questions about that. But so Jason and I know each other a little bit and he knows that I've got older kids and it's interesting talking about, you know, how much money I made an hour at minimum wage compared to what my kids are starting at today. It's right. it's insane to me. Because <laughs> so. yeah, I think it's 12 is
2: $12 is minimum now in the think, state of Arizona I think
1: 12 is the minimum in Arizona yeah yeah, yeah. and i've got a 16 year old that's looking for her first job right now and it just boggles my mind that it's triple what i was <laughs> what i was getting paid at my first job so but it was at a car wash and so well actually my first job was bussing tables at a restaurant but then at a car wash i was making 425 an hour plus tips and then all of a sudden it was a decent amount of money at the time so right You've been married about three years.
2: Yeah, about three years. Um, No kids yet. That's definitely on the to-do list. My wife, Ashley Turnquist, she would love to have kids. And I think we're kind of in the process of of making that a reality. Uh, Mm -hmm. We'll see here in the future. We do have uh, four. Well, we we had four fur babies, uh, four dogs. We now have three. We actually lost one a Mm. few weeks ago. Really sad. She was a boxer. We absolutely loved her. We're a little devastated because she was Ashley's service dog. So she would... Um, she would fly with us. Like she's been all over. She had a great life, but you know, my baby girl, I miss her a lot.
1: Uh, That's a tough one. We, we lost a dog about, well, I guess it's been almost three years now and, and having him put down was, it was tough. It was way tougher on my wife and my daughter, um, than on me personally. Right. But, uh, it was harder than I thought it was going to be, to be honest with you. Having somebody come in and actually put him down
2: there in, in our house was, uh, it was an emotional, an emotional thing. It's sad. I mean, I I tend to think that a lot of times we build this bond, like, almost like a like a soulmate bond with our animals, and we just love them unconditionally, and they love us back. And yeah, and she went so quickly. It was literally like woke up in the morning seven forty five. I am doing a latit meeting, and she couldn't walk very well. And, and then kind of walks in. I am like, oh, what's something, something doesn't seem right. And then took her to the vet, and basically got there. The guy and our vet, Doctor Dunning. Um, He's over at Countryside and he's like, yeah, she's in critical condition and she's dying. You need to take her to the ER. And wow. so on the way there, they kind of got her stabilized enough. And in the way there, she was basically like dying in the car, got her in, ran her in. And she it wasn't more than about five minutes and she had passed. They think it was cancer of the spleen, which is really common in labs and boxers, I guess. Hmm. So, I mean, we didn't do an autopsy, so we don't know for sure. But yeah, she was nine or going on ten. So sorry to hear about that. Thank you. Let's uh, let's
1: talk about what Firesight is today. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. we talked about how it got its start. And and I personally, so I have a father in law that was an aerospace engineer. Mm -hmm. And because you and I've spent some time together, I I see that in you. You know, there's there are ways that engineers speak and think and act. And and it's it's a it's easy to see how that translates over into web development and, and seeing how to build a particular app or a website to to do what it's supposed to do for the for the end client, right? Right. So let's talk about, you know, when, when we talked about WordPress and getting started with just building websites, but where is Firesight today? And then what do you see as the, the next frontier for e-commerce in general, websites, mobile app development, that sort of thing?
2: Yeah. So, you know, originally marketing websites, but... We started doing e-commerce maybe a few years later and started kind of, there's a really cool add-on for WordPress called WooCommerce. So we started tinkering around with WooCommerce and building out some e-commerce. So then we kind of had marketing and e-commerce in our portfolio. And about six years ago, one of my fraternity brothers actually, he was quite a bit older than than me. He was an RA, but he, his dad had started a a grill company called Green Mountain Grills. Um, I'm sure... A lot of people listening are familiar with Traeger. You find them in Costco and Home Depot everywhere. Yeah. And they basically took the Traeger idea and built it more for like competition barbecue guys. They took all the things they didn't like and, and kind of built out this grill. And he'd come to us back in 2015, I think it roughly it was, and was like, I want to make an internet connected barbecue. We're going to add a Wi-Fi chip to the, the motherboard of the grill and we need some help building out an iOS and Android application. And then, you know, the server infrastructure that goes along with that. And we had never done it at the time. We had we had built like a, a small little um, beer app for a company down the street called Spokes. And it was just like a, it used a WordPress plugin that we built where you could basically manage the live beer list because they had like 20 beers on tap. And they always had this paper uh, that they'd hand out at the table and we were thinking, look, well, what if you had just, you know, everyone has a smartphone. What if you update it on the website and it updates the app automatically, and then you got a live beer list? So that was kind of our first like little prototype. And uh, you know, being a small company at the time, you know, now there's actually two big companies, Untapped, I know, is a big one uh, that have actually done that and been really successful in the space. But you know, being a little bit younger, not and that not our focus. That that project kind of died down. But adding. Uh, Green Mountain Grills and the whole idea of like an internet connected barbecue was, you know, fascinating to us. So we're like, yeah, we want to try it. We'll work with the Chinese team because it's all manufactured in China. And China is, you know, was heading up most of the app development. But a lot of the design, the UI design coming out of the China team was just not good at all. So it was kind of like, hey, we built a prototype. Now let's like take what we've done and build it so that it can be usable in the US market. Gotcha. And so that was kind of our intro to mobile application development. And it wasn't even just like a basic app. I mean, it was a fully connected barbecue. And there's a lot of infrastructure from the firmware on the grill, the connection process to Wi Fi. Uh, The original chip was a single threaded chip. So it could only like, send or receive at any given time, you couldn't do like, most electronics now are multi threaded, so they can send and receive at the same time. But this it was because you could only do uh, send or receive, it, it was a little bit clunkier. So we had to find some ways around it to make it a little bit more efficient and make the connection process quicker. And then they wanted to add a really cool feature, which is like a, a food profile, which you can program the grill to run at a certain temperature for a certain period of time uh, and a series of steps. So And it also has a food probe connected in there. So you could tell the grill to say, hey, run it 500 degrees for 20 minutes then back down to 200 degrees till the internal temperature of the meat is 135. And then the grill would follow those steps. And so it's kind of a precursor to some of the other items um, that are now out, like the June oven, I know, has like a kind of a cool product like that. And yeah, so that was our our first big app that we, you know, is is in the market. Consumers are using it and we're actually in the process of redesigning it and really bulking it up. So we'll see how that goes in the, the future. But that really got our feet wet for the mobile application space. So building iOS and Android um, applications, we saw that that's kind of where the market was going, where, yeah, you have a website, you know, the internet, you're always going to have a Safari browser web application or something along that. But with the introduction of smartphones, the ability to create an app and kind of create a personalized experience was really uh, interesting to us and intriguing. So we started to really push a lot more marketing towards that area. And nowadays, I mean, we websites and e-commerce sites are actually like a fraction of what our business is today. A lot of it is mobile application and web application development.
1: Well, yeah, no, I think it's certainly the the next frontier, right? I mean, and even for me, I mean, just the fact that you mentioned the mobile application for a brewery seemed foreign to me, right? Not even to get into (laughs) the grill and everything that you just talked about and how that's built and, you know, my head starts to spin. Landon's probably fine because he's way smarter than I am, but... (laughs) It, uh, <laughs> my, my head starts to spin when you talk about all the, the interconnectivity of, of all those types of things. I, I certainly do not have an engineer brain. So with that, I could actually use a little brain break. So let's take a, a quick break for a word from our sponsor. At Paylocity, we deliver more than our awesome product suite with crazy good reviews. We prioritize your success by covering you with a deep support system to back up our easy to use, innovative HR solutions. Everything we do is designed to support you in reaching your goals. Together, we tackle your day-to-day work so that you can spend more time building the culture you and your employees crave. For professionals who crave true partnership, Paylocity is the HR and payroll company that frees you from the tasks of today. So together, we can spend more time focused on the promise of tomorrow let's go forward together. Thank you. Yeah, so HR and payroll is is much more my speed. It's something that I understand and can, can put a name to. Landon, I'm sure you have got plenty of follow-up questions on UI and UX design and interconnectivity.
3: <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what I got out of it. I got out of it that uh, essentially Jason helped to create a barbecue that takes the barbecuing out of barbecuing. So <laughs> that's, about, that's about all that I, uh, I I got out of it. But I, I do have one one quick kind of follow-up question before we, we move on to something else, Jason. Um, obviously, the times that we are living in right now are very unique. My, my older sister started a women's clothing boutique out of uh, Southern California about uh, about six years ago. And, um, the mix of her business has been, let's call it 50, 50. So 50% in person, you know, buying in her brick and mortar locations and then 50% online. Obviously w- with, with, uh, everything going on right now, she moved pretty much to, you know, I think she was doing 90 to 90, for 90, 90 to 95% online. So my question to you is over the last couple of months, have you have you seen an uptick in in demand for people that are looking for you know e-commerce solution uh, solutions, you know uh, you know application solutions, anything that you've kind of already spoken to here in the last few
2: minutes? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the entire shutdown of brick and mortar businesses has really skyrocketed the idea of e-commerce and being able to order from your you know, businesses that you like to spend money with, but through an e-commerce platform. So um, e-commerce websites, you know, we've been doing a lot of WooCommerce and especially Shopify. Uh, We've all seen that Shopify stock has just blown up and that's because they've made a very, very easy way for people to build an e-commerce store and have a lot of data analytics. Shopify is a great platform. It's, we kind of call it like e-commerce on training wheels because it has like, you don't need to be super technical to set one up which is great. And we've also been doing a lot of WooCommerce stuff. And we like WooCommerce uh, for more complex jobs because we can build, it's a lot easier to build custom applications for it or like custom integrations. Um, the Shopify platform, they use a, a, a programming language called Liquid, which is like a, a adaptation of Ruby on Rails. So the syntax is a little bit, um, it's technically easier probably, but it it takes a lot longer to learn versus WordPress and WooCommerce being all built in PHP. So... Both are great systems. We love we love both of them. And so we've had a lot of businesses contact us about building out their, you know, before they didn't have an e-commerce store and now they do, right? And so if they have a WordPress site, it's already really easy to integrate e-commerce on it. We actually recently did that with um, the Churchill uh, in downtown Phoenix. It's like the shipping container community with a number of restaurants uh, inside of it. State 48's in there. A few bars, uh, Breadwinner, uh, Foxy Fruit, Bowls. And so they basically had to shut down. But um, Kel and Hartley, the guys that own it, they wanted to put together this like CSA farm box where they would source different produce from local farming companies and uh, vendors and basically put together a little box that you'd purchase and then you could come pick it up on a Friday and it would have like fresh lettuce and tomatoes and stuff like that in it. And that site, we basically went from no e commerce site to an e commerce site in about a week. And then they add, actually added to it where they can not only do the box and do like a subscription for the box where you could just do a recurring $20 every week and then go pick up your CSA farm box. But you could also order toilet paper on it, beer and a variety of other products. And so that was a you know a great use case of a, somebody that just has a marketing website. And then now they want to be able to sell products through an e-commerce solution. So we've definitely seen an uptick in that. I think you're going to also see a huge uptick in just um, e-commerce mobile applications. Um, especially with probably some of the big box stores. I know JCPenney's is kind of going through like bankruptcy right now. Yep, They're talking about the Nordstrom's down in Chandler Fashion Square, not reopening, like not opening. So, you know, these companies, they're going to have to pivot to a more virtual shopping experience. And, you know, websites are great because, you know, you you find what you want and you can check out. Mobile application e-commerce, you can get much more in-depth with the e-commerce experience. So you can add augmented reality you can add like custom notifications um, and just and and kind of have like a, a more integrated process. And so over time, I think we'll start to see a lot of the big companies, they'll only have a mobile application. Well, I mean, they'll also have the the, the internet and like being able to go through Chrome or whatnot and shop there. But they'll promote people trying to download their mobile application so they can get that more connected experience.
1: Yeah. yeah I think it's interesting to, you know, to, to watch this over... The past decade, for example, um, and the way that things have changed completely, right? The shopping experience, the retail experience, the, you know, the Amazon experience that kind of came in and, and kind of took over and, you know, DoorDash and Uber and Lyft and, you mm-hmm. know, Uber Eats, uh, Postmates, you know, all these types of, of applications really is what they are that, that are out there and have kind of just changed the way that we as a consumer shop. 100%. Right. I mean, I, I, I actually waited in line over the weekend two different times. One time for an hour and 45 minutes and one time for two hours at Nordstrom Rack to be able to buy some clothes. Wow. And that's how long the line was, right? You had to wait to get in the store so that they don't overload the store just to make sure that we stay in, you know, social distancing and so forth. Right. And then they warned us ahead of time before we ever went in that it was an hour 45 or or two hour wait to be able to check out. Wow. And, you know... (laughs) Luckily we were there as a pair. My wife and I were together. My daughter was with us. And so we could kind of take turns shopping and jump in line right from the get-go. So it wasn't shop for an hour and then wait in line for two hours. But that sort of thing, I, I just I look at it and I think, well, that can't be our future. I can't expect. Now granted, they were it was forty percent off the whole store. Right. right. And so, you know, it's probably not gonna be that way all the time. But I don't know that a consumer is going to be okay with that type of an experience going forward. I feel like people have shied away from buying clothes online. A lot of people do it still, right? Mm-hmm. And then the return options are pretty liberal and that sort of thing. But that's got a cost for the, for the, for the retailer as well. Of course. So I, I feel, you know, like there's going to be something that's going to figure this out, make it easier for everybody. So maybe you can speak to what you see for that specifically, or maybe businesses that we're not even thinking about today that that should have mobile applications or that you're hearing from businesses that have told you, you know, forever, no, a website's fine for me. I don't even need an e-commerce. My 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 customers all come to see me. You know, what are you seeing today that that makes us think COVID-19 has really kind of changed the business marketplace going forward forever?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think especially with the the whole idea of clothes shopping through an e-commerce site, you're going to start to see a lot more, as I was kind of saying earlier, is augmented reality. You know, um, the ability to kind of try clothes on, basically tracking the measurements of the actual clothes itself and then kind of wearing them through your device. And so you don't, you're not necessarily going to go to a store and purchase them, but you'll kind of get that experience through like a, a virtual augmented reality environment where you kind of get to try it on and see if it you know if it looks good on you so um, I think that's one technology we're going to start to see a lot more of and we were actually contacted from a company out in New York City that is actually trying to do that more with like suits and things like that so that's a that's probably one way that we're going to start to see like kind of more of this like virtualized e-commerce experience and another thing is you know E-commerce in general, a lot of companies have shied away from it. But now that it's become like almost necessary, otherwise, you're going to go out of business. So another thing that we've kind of been seeing too, is the idea of queuing systems where maybe, you know, not everyone goes to the store, but you have some kind of like digital queuing system where you get in line from your house. And then they're like, hey, uh, you get a notification in the app, like, hey, you're, you know, uh, you should maybe head to the store now because, you know, you're next up in line, you should be there like, Th- like you're up in 30 minutes, essentially. Yeah. So in that the, way, your Apple waste- store does that a little bit now. It does, yeah. yeah. That, and Apple is probably one of the only companies that I've seen really do it. You know, that's happened to me in the mall. They're like, hey, you got to come back two hours later and we'll send you a text message. Great. You go, you, I can either go walk around or I can maybe go run and do other errands. But I think that concept of like queuing is going to have to happen with some of these bigger box stores as well. Because otherwise people are going to get impatient. You know, they're not going to, you don't want to wait. Nobody wants to wait in line for two hours, you know, to buy clothes. Agreed. So it's be, it'd be better if you could get in line virtually and then basically say, hey, you know, this is my time that I'd like to get there. You choose your time and then you get a notification and then, you know, you show up, you walk in, you're good to go. So I think that's kind of where we're starting to see more of this market shift of purchase online and then pick up at the window type of thing.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's that's interesting. I mean, you, you can't really put a a price on style though, right? I mean, this shirt that I'm wearing, <laughs> it looks pretty darn good, right? It
2: really does. <laughs> well, I think companies like um, uh, what is it, uh, Stitch Fix, which is like the subscription yeah. clothing where you almost work with like a, a virtual style. Like they use software to kind of automate your your buying by figuring out what styles you like, um, and from fi- like figuring out what styles you like, then they can kind of Collaborate with you and and make you know clothing that works for you based off your body type, and if they know the measurements, then they can you can just get it shipped to you. You don't even have to go to a store. Yeah. So and I know they they've been doing really really well. Um, I actually just listened to one of their uh, the the NPR How I Built This, and they had um, I forget her name, Olson but she was on. She was talking about how she started Quick uh, Stitch Fix. Yeah. So yeah, I. Stay-
1: I may have listened to that same episode and I can't think of her name right now. I can see her face, but I can't think of her <laughs> name either. But yeah, she's built quite a company doing exactly that. And I think, you know, a lot of us are reticent and business owners. I mean, there are business owners listening to this program right now who are thinking, I don't need a mobile application, not for what I do. I'm a I'm a plumber, right? Or I'm right. a welder, you know, whatever it is that, that they do. I, I own a company that installs electrical wire in commercial buildings, you know, whatever it is. And they're thinking, I don't, I don't need a mobile application or an e-commerce website. But I, I think that we're going to learn, and this may have been what pushed us all over the edge as entrepreneurs to realize that we do need to innovate more. What do you think, Landon?
3: Yeah, there's no question about it. And I think, uh, you know, like I said, I was having a conversation with my sister the other day, and um, this is just really accelerating the need for, for innovation. And, um, I think we're seeing it in almost every industry, especially in what you're doing, Jason, I I'm sure that things are just moving so quickly right now. And when I was talking to my sister the other day about her business, you know, I had asked her, I said, you're, you're doing approximately the same amount of revenue that you were doing before. I mean, you really have to sit down and think about whether or not you want to have a brick and mortar location going forward. Because if you don't have that brick and mortar location, she'll be saving herself, I mean, a tremendous amount of money. Now, she's got to have a little bit bigger, you know, distribution warehouse. But to get, to get rid of the brick and mortar locations, I mean, that's just huge. And that's just one example of, of how we're seeing the time that we are living in just really push forward and, and accelerate, uh, you know, innovation for businesses. Um, But one thing I really wanted to hear your thoughts on Jason was um, when it comes to websites and, and marketing websites, you know, as, as financial advisors like Austin and myself, one of the, not one of the biggest challenge, hands down, that we face is, is, is marketing, right? Cause there's so many different avenues that you can go down. Um, and we, we try a lot of different things and they don't work. And sometimes we stick to things longer than we should. And sometimes we don't. And, and that's just a, a huge challenge for our industry. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on what are some successful things that you have seen tips, tricks, you know, recommendations, whatnot, that you can give to us and our listeners when it comes to more efficiently and effectively marketing our websites?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it depends on who you're targeting. Are you targeting your local economy or are you targeting more of like a, a statewide or national economy? Um, if you're going localized, I mean, the biggest the biggest thing you could do is, uh, is reviews and directories, business directories, showing up in the three-pack of Google uh, for the map. Like if you type in you know, some kind of business into Google, usually you're going to see a map with like what they call the three pack, which is the first three listings in the map. And then you'll see the the organic results below that. And what we're seeing is if, if you're really trying to target local, local users, and that's your demographic, then you really need to make sure that your it's called your nap information. It's your name address Uh, and phone number is accurate on all the different business directory websites. And there's a couple tools out there to help you do that. Number one is yext.com. Yext is a great way to, you basically kind of, they sync all your data across all the different business directories. And ultimately, your Google My Business is is the one that you want to rank. But it helps to have your information on all the other 500 subdirectories that are out there. The Better Business Bureau, the Yellow Pages, the Brown book.net, like there's so many little business directories out there. Uh, So if you're going for the local market, number one is your Google local, make sure that all the name and information is correct on there. And it's correct across all the different directories. If you spell ST for street on one, but then you spell out street on another, Google doesn't recognize that as well. And it's going to ding it. So you want to make sure all that that information is 100% accurate across all those directories. So I would recommend using a service like yex.com to do that. And make sure you're getting reviews on there as well, right? Like, talk to whoever you're doing business with. And if they had a good experience, ask them for a review. It's okay to do that. I know Yex kind of, or Yelp kind of frowns upon that, like asking for reviews, which you don't have to tell them what star you want them to give. Just ask them for an honest review. And most people are going to give you, you know, an accurate, honest review. So make sure you're doing that. I think that's probably one of the biggest things, especially local. Yeah, sure. Um, That's what we do all the time. And, it, it has been, we get a lot of business from people just finding us on the internet and searching, you know, web development or web design or app development. And that's how we get a lot of calls. If you're going for more of like a nationalized approach, you know, you're going to have to really focus on more of like the organic SEO side of it and ranking in the areas that you want to rank in. Um, another thing is setting up a virtual office in a city that you want to get business out of. So Utah, for example, if you want to get more business out of Utah... Maybe you set up like a Regis virtual address out in Provo or, you know, Salt Lake City. And you don't necessarily have somebody boots on the ground there, but you could if you needed to. You set up a, a Google My Business there. You do the same Yex.com stuff. You get all the directories ranking, and then you get a few reviews on there, and you can start to rank in that city as well. And so we've, uh, we've seen some success with that, and that's really great. And then Organic. Organic, it's just great to... Make sure that your website is optimized to rank for key terms that you want to be found in, right? And that can be very time consuming. Um, It's about, you know, tracking the content on the page. It's about getting backlinks from other sources. So a backlink is a link from one website back to your website. So if you can go on a podcast and you get a link back to your website, that counts as a backlink. That can be great. YouTube, we're we're seeing a huge increase in video content. I mean, there's there's probably nothing better than producing some video content out there, getting it on YouTube, backlinking it to your website for, you know, whatever the topic may be in either financial advising or, you know, economics. And so that's what we're kind of starting to see as well is, you know, YouTube, create you create content, people find you, you backlink into your website, and now your website can start to link for those some of those terms as well. Um, And that's more of probably like a nationalized approach. So and what I'm talking about is all like your organic ways of doing this. Um, Of course, there's paid as well, you know, Instagram, uh, Facebook, I mean, we've seen a huge drop in the cost per impression on these these networks. And so those are ways that you can try and get in front of uh, some of your users. And the biggest thing is you don't necessarily want to sell them on like, hey, I'm a financial advisor, you want to you more want to just educate them and you get sales through education. and that's what we're finding that that's what the market is kind of turning to is more of sale through education. It's kind of crazy. I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with TikTok or use TikTok at all, but I see all these guys on there and they just give you little like financial tips and you link that your TikTok profile back to your Instagram, your Instagram has your website link in it, and that's kind of how people are aggregating. To followers because yeah. they're providing valuable information to people that ne- aren't necessarily searching for it. But the great thing about these algorithms is they'll kind of show you content sometimes without you knowing you wanted to see it. Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think those are some really good tips. And I, and I it is hard to keep up with the algorithms at Google and, oh, man. you know, Facebook and all those, all those places. But the reality is one, you hit a big thing. Video is huge, right? Yep. And education rather than trying to sell, I think is a huge deal for anybody. It doesn't matter what your industry is. You exactly. can get on YouTube today, you can Google whatever, how to, how to fix a leaky toilet or change the, you know, the flange or whatever it is in, in the toilet. And there's, it's a plumber who owns a plumbing business that's showing you how to do it yourself. Right. It doesn't seem like that would make sense for him to do that if he wants you to hire him to do that instead. But in reality, it gets his name and his brand out there. And he does get hired more often because of it.
2: And one thing people don't talk about, too, is you can monetize those videos. So you if you create a video uh, around, you know, plumbing or something that helps people, you might get 500,000 hits on that video. You're going to make you're going to make a couple like probably 10,000 plus dollars. I don't know. It really depends on like the keywords and the types of ads it's showing. But you can make money just by creating that video. So not only are you potentially getting business and making a name for yourself, but you also could get YouTube ad revenue yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy world. I think that, uh, well, I don't know if this is the same for Len and I'm sure it's the same for you. I'm sure it's the same for Karen, but I feel like I get connection requests every day on, on every social platform from somebody who's tr- claiming to be able to put my, you know, my Google ranking to the top and SEO this and SEO that. So any tips on how
2: to decide whether or not somebody
1: really knows what they're doing when it comes to SEO?
2: I mean, the biggest thing with that is there is white hat SEO, which is, you know, the the right way to do it. It's, it's through authentic content creation. It's through, you know, authentic post creation. You have gray hat, which is kind of in the middle. It's, you know, maybe some things are, it could be buying backlinks from you know websites that are supposedly good or whatnot. And then you have Black Hat SEO, which is um, can boost your website really quickly, but it can also burn it down to the ground really quickly. So when it comes to an SEO company, I mean, the biggest thing is... Whew, it's, it, it can be tough. Um, sometimes the more you pay, the better quality you get. So if you go with a cheaper company and like, hey, I'm going to spend $500 a month on it. It might be worth it to spend more money to get a better quality SEO campaign. Uh, the biggest thing is you want to see the reports on a monthly basis of what backlinks they're potentially creating, like what the goal is and and how to rank you. And then there's a lot of good keyword trackers out there. Um, SpyFu.com is one where you can kind of set up an account and you can choose what keywords you want to target and then it'll show you where your position is in relative to that keyword. And then so you can kind of track like, oh, I'm in the 55th position for, you know, web design, but I want to be on the first position. So you track that, like you're ranking on that. So using some of those tools um, as a, you know, maybe a way to, to check if your SEO is working, I would, I would highly recommend doing some, some of your own due diligence with that. And don't just rely on what they're saying because everyone, they can say one thing, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean anything. Um, I've heard a lot of companies call and be like, "Hey, I can get you to number one on on Google," and you're like, "Okay, well, wh- what keyword are you wanting me to uh, rank for?" And they'll say like some ridiculous keyword that you go look up on Google and it has zero traffic, yeah. or it's a way that people wouldn't type it in, type of thing. You yeah,
1: know? exactly. And that and that's huge for any business, right? Right, is knowing what keywords you need to rank for, what people really
2: are searching. When they're trying to find somebody who does what you do, the key, the Google Keyword Planner tool, which if you go on to I think it's ads.google.com, you can you can check out the Keyword Planner tool, and you can type in like a list of keywords, uh, comma separated, or you can just give one keyword, and you can see the like the the search volume based off of your area, and you can get into like some of the details like that, and that's how you can figure out like. They say long tail. You want to rank for long tail, but you also want to try and rank for short tail as well because people still type those in.
1: Yeah. Cool. Well, I think this is a good time for uh, a word from our second sponsor, GBS Benefits.
0: Whether you're an established local company or a brand new startup, you can count on GBS to be part of your family. We're not just any benefits consulting firm, we're GBS. We have nearly 30 years of experience in group benefits, a strong sense of purpose, and it shows. GBS, believe in something better. GBSbenefits.com.
1: Thank you very much. So Landon, uh, I'm going to leave it up to you if you want to ask him more about UI design, because I know that's one of your passions and you spend an awful lot of time looking into that yourself personally, or what it's taken, uh, what it's taken Jason to uh, build his business from the ground up to this point?
3: Yeah, um, I don't even know what UI design is. So let's go the other <laughs> round.
1: <laughs> well, let, let's have Jason tell us real quick what it is and why it is important for business owners. And then, yeah, and then you can ask him the question about the
2: business. Yeah, yeah please. Yeah, so UI design is um, UI is user interface. So it's user interface design. It's basically any application, any website, any web application that you touch. You're if you're going through Gmail, it's the layout of components and where those components are. It's almost essential that when you're building a mobile application, you need to make you need to take into account the user interface because uh, you want people to have a good experience. You want them to be able to easily find what they potentially need to get to. Um, I think that's honestly why one of the reasons why Zoom has done so much better as a video conferencer than some of the other ones on the market because they made it like what we call Apple-esque. It's very simple and easy to use. Um, You download an app and you, you can kind of figure out where everything is. I've used a couple of the other video conferencing tools like WebEx and GoToMeeting and those ones are way clunkier. And so taking into account how the interface is and what icons you use to represent different areas, it's imperative to build a good application like that. And then once you have that user interface in there, having the proper, like, analytical tools to track how people are kind of rolling through the interface, so then that way you can modify it uh, over time and and optimize it and give the users a better experience. Because the the better experience that they're going to have, ultimately the more they're going to like tell their friends about it potentially or, you know, recommend it to other people. Yeah. So definitely a behind-the-scenes type of a
1: thing, but super, super important.
2: Yeah. So when we build a a mobile application, we kind of go through a a process. It's like an eight-step process. Um, And the second phase is your wireframing and your prototyping. And then we move that into design. So like wireframing is we might do like what we call low-fidelity wireframes of just kind of placing content in the proper dimension So if it's your phone, you know, it's going to be like a portrait and you might lay out certain icons and certain ideas like of where things will go. And then you turn that into what's called a high fidelity design. And that's actually like what the user is going to touch and feel and how they're going to interact with it. And there's a couple of cool systems that we can use to then prototype that design and make things linkable. So if you click on a button, it'll take you to the next screen or it'll pop up a modal, you know, that tells the user something. So then that way... You before you've even done any development, you can send it out to people and you can get feedback on it and be like, hey, what do you think about this? Click through it and let us know what what you think. And then that way you can make modifications because it's a lot easier to make modifications in the design phase than it is in the programming phase. So we want to iron out as much in the design phase as we can. So then that way, when it goes to programming, everything's already kind of set in stone. The developers know what needs to be and where it needs to be and everything like that. So it's a crucial phase of any mobile application. Uh, making sure that you take into account how the user is going to feel. Um, there's almost a psychological aspect to it of how they'll feel when you're u- when they're using the application.
3: Interesting.
2: So essentially, if our listeners out there want to have a
3: website that's more user friendly, that creates a better experience, that even elicits some feelings or emotions. Basically, they just need to come to you and your team and uh, have you guys uh, do what you guys do,
2: essentially. I mean, yeah, you'll have higher conversions. There's no doubt that if you take into account good design and the user feels like they can easily get what they need to, you're going to have a higher conversion rate than if you had like a site where it's harder to navigate and it's slow to load and things like that. So, um, And everything's about conversion nowadays, right? You want the, the more business that you convert... The, the more return on investment you'll get from your website or your mobile application.
3: Agreed. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I was having a conversation with uh, somebody maybe earlier this year, later last year. And um, I'm going through a whole rebrand right now of my practice, and uh, which entails you know changing my logo and my website and all the verbiage that I have out there. And uh, we were talking about my website, and I said, at this point with my website, I will do anything to make it different and more effective because I've had my website for a couple of years, and uh, uh, the amount of, of you know new you know clients or even leads or anything that have come through my website are are basically a big a big goose egg. Mm-hmm. So um, that's that's been that's been a big, uh, challenge. So I think, um, you know, the stuff that that you and your team are doing is, is super relevant. And, uh, we, we probably need to have a a side, a side conversation (laughs) for you to take a look at, uh, my website, but, uh, Jason, as we kind of press up on time here, um, I just, I, I love your story, man. You know, as we were doing this research, you know, had your first job when you were, you know, 12 years old and you worked through high school and you, you know, you worked on a, I believe you, uh, you worked on a jet engine, uh, you know, yeah. in high school and just, you've got this just really great entrepreneurial spirited story, which a lot of our, our, you know, entrepreneurs that we've interviewed and also our listeners have. So just for a couple minutes, uh, maybe you can just talk about, um, talk about you know, two things just kind of, you know, maybe some, some suggestions that you have for people that uh, are in a similar situation where, you know, they're, they're building a business, you know, from the ground up and maybe some, some advice you have to them, to them to keep trekking. but also, you know, we've got some listeners out there that are thinking about, you know, wanting to start their own business. So maybe you can, speak to those two groups and just share any insights that you have that you might find that, that, you know, you might think that we find useful.
2: Okay. Yeah. You know, well, I think the biggest thing that I could say, um, you know, being in business for 10 years now, starting when I was young, 23 years old, I, I think the biggest thing is consistency, right? Like staying consistently working and not not overworking yourself, right? Because um, burnout is a real thing. And uh, I think it's, it's kind of proven that if you overwork yourself to get to a certain goal, you might get there quicker, but it, you might also make a lot more mistakes along the way. So for the people that I think are growing a business and you know wondering how to keep growing, I think the biggest thing is consistently work at it every single day. You know, maybe take a break on the weekends. May, maybe work for a few hours on a Saturday, but get out and you know go do some hobbies. Because I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that when you get out of town or you go and do something like you, it kind of heals your brain and allows you to think in a different way. Um, and you can kind of attack problems at in a way that you might if you're kind of stressed out and overthinking. So I think consistency is probably the one one of the biggest things. I mean, when we first started, I I kind of had this whole like you know. What, what do they call it? Like the Facebook mentality or whatnot, where you're like working 60 to 80 hours a week and it's like a cool thing to do. And, you know, I, I had done that, but I don't think I was always working necessarily smart. I was just working really hard. And again, when we first started, I didn't really, I didn't pay myself a whole lot. So I kind of had, that, that may be harder for some of the, like the older listeners because you have a lot of responsibilities. And right now, you know, I'm kind of lucky because I I didn't have those responsibilities going through it, Um so consistency is definitely probably the biggest thing that I would say to anybody is just putting one foot in front of the other and continuing to make a little bit of progress each day and if you have to take a little bit of time off because you're you know you're feeling stressed maybe take a walk get out you know stand up exercise i know like getting outside for me is just fantastic I love to kind of get some some vitamin D and just hear the birds and feel the wind and stuff like that and so sometimes when I'm feeling a little stressed or like I got to do a proposal, but I'm having a hard time concentrating on it. I'll kind of do that. Go walk the dogs or something and then come back. And then, you know, even if I can do a little bit of the proposal or, or whatever it is, um, even just doing a little bit, getting a little bit of it down and then going out and doing the same thing. I mean, it's, that's really, I think really what business is, is consistency and keep it. And you're going to have high highs, you're going to have great days and you're going to have some really, really bad days. Right. And the biggest thing is, don't get depressed or don't get discouraged. Um, just keep working at it. And always know that tomorrow is another day and you can always restart and do something uh, you know differently tomorrow if you don't and that's one of the great things about us as you know as, as humans is we can pivot. So if you need to take a small a pivot in something you're doing and use that to then boost yourself and continue to work towards whatever your goal may be. Good stuff.
1: Yeah, I I think that uh, you know work life balance is super important. Oh yeah, um, definitely. I, I think that people can take it too far, right? And you're trying to build a business, and you say, well, you know, I've got to have work life balance, so I can only work 32 hours a week because I've got a family. And, and you know, you can take it too far, of course. But of course, you know, a, a good example, I think, and if you haven't, I'll I'll forget the na- the title of the book, but Larry H. Miller mm-hmm. owned a bunch of auto dealerships, had some here in the in the Phoenix Valley, had a bunch along the what's called the Wasatch Front. So, you know, Utah, Idaho, you know, all up in there. And then he owned the Utah Jazz. And he died from complications due to diabetes maybe a decade ago or something. Actually, mm-hmm. the name of his book is Driven. Driven. I, I'd recommend listening to it or, or, or reading it, whatever, you know, however you do that. But, you know, one of the big things that he did was he did not have that work-life balance. He didn't exercise. He didn't take care of himself. He wasn't eating right. He wasn't staying hydrated. He wasn't doing the things that that are super, super important. Right. And he was just always laser focused on building his business and his personal relationships suffered and his personal health suffered. And so he passed away way sooner than he should have just because he didn't keep that work-life balance in in check. So right. I, I agree with you. I think it's super important. And then staying consistent and understanding that, you know, sometimes you do have to, you know, our, our guest last week talked about sometimes you just have to persevere. Exactly. And get through things. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have to pivot. But if you don't do one of those two, then the third P comes into play and you're going to perish. Right. Right. And so it, it's a big, big lesson that all of us as business owners can take into a, account. So any last words of advice for our listeners before we finish up here?
2: I mean, just keep working hard. I mean, we are a resilient country. And I even though we have all this kind of crazy nonsense going on right now and it's a little scary, I think the biggest thing is, you know, don't be fearful and continue to work towards your goal because, you know, over time you'll, you'll eventually get there. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't like to live in fear if, you know, if I'm meant to die tomorrow, I'm meant to die tomorrow. But at the same time, like I'm going to do the best and be the best person I can today and continue on. And I think that's how I like to live. And I think you, you just live a healthier mind if you're not necessarily always like scared of what's going to happen next. Just be the best person you can today.
1: Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we definitely had a, a true tycoon in the in the studio today. And, and everybody needs to remember that we all are tycoons of small biz. Get out there, do what we need to do, make sure that our businesses thrive. It's, it's our economy. It's our, it's our country. Let's go out and do everything we can for it. Thanks for listening.
0: You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance.